Welcome to the 343 Ministries podcast, where we want to help you be the church right where you are. Whether at work or at home or with your friends or your families, we want to give you practical strategies that can help you build your communities in Christ wherever you are in life right now. So let's get started. Welcome back to the 343 Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Todd Baker. The new year is the perfect time for a reset in your spiritual life, isn't it? This special two-part podcast has some practical ways that we can all get a head start on growing more in our spiritual lives in 2023. We hope you had a Merry Christmas, and here's to a great new year ahead. And now, here's the first part of how to jump the New Year's speed bump. And, and really, when you think about the new year, you think about what is it that hopefully carries you and your New Year's resolutions. A little further, I actually was going to try before the New Year started to start a new exercise program, shed a few pounds, and I think it was, what, two days after Christmas, I went and worked out, and the next day I was sick as a dog. And, And for the next, like, week, I had just congestion and all of a sudden that speed bump of the momentum that I said, you know what, this year I'm just doing it. I'm going you know, crazy and, and, and going to be in this amazing workout routine and everything's going to be great. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're just on the couch going, uh, I can't do anything. There's, there's, it, does that happen to you? Are there speed bumps in your life that, that just sort of you run into or run into you without you even knowing? And, and I looked it up and, and this is a physics moment for a second, but um, does anybody know the formula for, for momentum? Um, I'll just let you think about that for a second, but I'll tell you. It's P equals MV. So if you remember back in physics class, P equals MV, and momentum is the P. Momentum is equal to the product of the mass and velocity of a body in motion. And so now you, those of you who are bored with physics can wake up and on to what we're going to talk about that will inspire you this morning, but um, the, the interesting thing is, is that Isaac Newton said it this way. He said, all moving bodies will continue to be in a state of rest or motion unless interfered by some external force. And so there's an external force that happens to um, a baseball when you throw it, and it has momentum it has the momentum to, to stay at rest or to move in a particular direction. For those of you who are baseball fans, or for those of you who are football fans, the football goes in a particular projection when you throw it. And so there's the momentum that some external force has on a body and causes it to move. And so this was an interesting thought too, is that the more momentum a moving object has, harder it is to stop. And so when you think about your life, and when you think about the momentum that you need and the path that you want to be on this year, what is the momentum that is actually pushing you in a direction? And where is that momentum coming from? And will it sustain you by yourself? Can you, like I tried to, sustain that momentum for some sort of life change? or some sort of thing that you hope will happen this year. And I, I thought of this, you remember I saw the 30 for 30 on um, the, the 
USC Trojans over the break, and I, I'd totally forgotten about all the sequences that, that USC was this horrible team up until the time, really, that Pete Carroll came on staff and was their coach. Um, now, of course, they have all this history of being great football teams, but they had a huge wall. And if you remember the year, it was 2005, and it was when Vince Young against USC's supposedly unstoppable defense was, was an unbelievable force to be reckoned with in his final drive to win the game. And there was momentum that they could not stop. And he literally just walks into the end zone, wins the national championship for Texas, which no one had picked. Everyone, they had picked Reggie Bush, remember, to be the Heisman Trophy winner that year. And, and I imagine that, because you see it in sports, you think about momentum that carries you, but what about in your life? And what is that momentum that could be an unstoppable force this year for you? And I think, there's, I think that there are paths in our lives that will grow us and mature us in a particular year. And I think there are paths that if we, if we take the momentum that way, that we won't grow, we won't mature. And we may either stay the same or, or digress. And so, but I think that the hope is that, and I believe this, I believe that God wants to help us. I think he wants to be that external force in our lives to, to move us or to guide us in the direction of a path that does two things. If you want to write these down, you can't. I don't have them on your, on your sheet. But think about this, is that I think that God wants to help us to grow, to mature, and to prosper. That's number one. I think that, I think that he really wants us, wants to propel us in a direction that helps us to grow, mature, and prosper. So that's good, right? I mean, all of us sort of want to do that at some point, hopefully. Um, and then two, in order, he wants to propel us in a, in a direction that will bring him glory and honor and praise. And I don't, and I think as a Christian, those two things are are inseparable, or they need to be. Sometimes we separate them out and say, "Well, I'd rather just prosper," but they kind of go together. These two ideas, I think, really go together. And we're going to look at a passage, and really this uh, a sermon that Jesus puts together in Matthew chapter 5, and goes all the way to chapter 7. We're not going to do all that today, but over the course of this series, we're going to look at those chapters and understand sort of how, how God wants to be our momentum. And, and I think that Jesus really communicates this idea in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you turn there in your Bible or on your on your device to Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to start at verse 1, but I want you to turn there and flip back to verse 23 to 25 of chapter 4, because that gives us some context as, as to where Jesus is, is starting. And, and what he does here is he gives us a lesson. He's giving the people a lesson um, <clears throat> of people who were following him. Now, there's a lot of people in this crowd. There's, there's, uh, there are there are skeptics, there are believers, there are non-believers, there are pagans, and we'll get that from chapter 4, but, but there's, this, there's this interpretation of this entire sermon that has gone around that um, there are lots of interpretations of what, what I think um, in this sermon is, is that Jesus is trying to communicate, is that, is that these things we'll look at will characterize the life of someone who knows Jesus as their Savior. So someone who's a believer <clears throat> and who is pursuing the kind of life that Jesus encourages them to live. That's kind of the point of the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're going to find out is that none of us are going to be able 
to live up to those standards. Which is why you have to be saved. Because Jesus is the one that has to help you to live that life. So, so looking at, at chapter 4, verse 23 um, to 25, you sort of get this idea that, that, that there's some sort of hope that has come into the world. And I think that's what Matthew is, is um, explaining here. He says, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of diseases and sickness among the people. So if you heard about that, you'd go, what's happening there? I'd like to go be a part of that. I'd like to be healed. I'd, I'd like to have something new come into my life. Um, so a report, verse 24, about him spread throughout Syria. Syria is north of Israel. People brought to him all who suffered with various illnesses and afflictions, those who had seizures, paralytics, those who uh, were possessed by demons, and he healed them. And verse 25 says, And large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan River. And so what he's, the context there is that, what I said is that all these different people from all these different cities and places who lived in that area heard that there was some sort of hopeful thing happening, and Jesus was right at the center of it. And so then, then all of a sudden, we move into chapter 5, verse 1 says this, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them by saying, I want to stop there because Jesus Jesus saw the crowds that came and he had compassion on them because because he loved people which is good um, that that's who our Savior is but as I said there were all these different people in the crowd well Jesus turns his attention from the huge crowd to this small group of people that he had just called a couple chapters before to be his disciples to be the ones who would follow him and so he turns his attention to them and he, he took the place of a rabbi in their lives, which is what a rabbi would do. Was when they would speak, they would actually sit down. And, and, and that's what you'll experience in a synagogue if you go there, is that they'll actually sit and they'll read the Word of God. And they'll teach whatever is, is on their heart that's directed by God. But he's teaching specifically to these disciples. And he actually teaches, we're going to look at eight perspectives on being blessed. And so what I mean by being blessed is to be physically or spiritually in a happy or content condition. So in other words, to be blessed is to be happy. To be blessed is, is to feel like, like uh, you don't need anything else in your life, but there's a moment where you just feel blessed. You know, people talk about that. I'm so blessed. You know, I'm blessed today. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, and, and I am blessed. You are too. But we're looking at looking at this idea of being blessed according to eight perspectives that deal with four particular attitudes. And I'm going to look at this briefly. Um, I just want to explain that briefly before we jump in. Because we're looking at being attitudes that are going to be towards ourselves, towards our sin that we deal with, towards God, and towards the world. So that's, that's where this sermon sort of takes the beginning. In verse 3, it says... Blessed, and I'm going to read it as I learned it as a kid, is blessed. Um, just because I'm comfortable with that. If you're not, just say blessed. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Because, and it says for, but I think the emphasis here is because. That, that Jesus is setting up something. He's saying, your people, this type of person is blessed. Because 
The kingdom of, of heaven belongs to them. So in verse 3, he starts off, and that's one of your first film blanks there, is the poor in spirit versus something. And I'll give you that verses in a second. But poor in spirit, poor in spirit are those who are in a right relationship with God. And so this is something about yourself. If you're poor in spirit, this is what it means, is that someone's attitude is that God and His mercy and His goodness has saved them. And so now they have a healthy self-awareness that they're not perfect. And so they're poor in spirit in the sense that they have a healthy sense of, of self-worth and humility. And they realize that God is actually bigger than them. And He's perfect. And so those who are poor in spirit are the ones who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. They recognize they're not smarter than God. They're not better than God. And, and in fact, they're dependent on Him for everything. And their reward, as we said, is that they get entrance or gain entrance into God's kingdom. Verses, and this is the verses part I want to hit. These are the speed bumps, I think, to momentum. Um, I think that's what Jesus is going for. He's saying, you, you want to be this type of person, but let, and I, want to, I want to sort of talk about the opposite of that for us, is what are those speed bumps that keep you from being characterized as this type of person? And that would be, in this case, arrogant in spirit. So there's poor in spirit, but there's arrogance in spirit. You know these types of folks. It's never you, but it's somebody else um, who's arrogant in spirit. And they're those who don't believe that they need God. They really don't have a healthy awareness of God in their life. And so they're they're the ones who feel they can just completely depend on themselves for everything. There's no need to really be humble because... I'm great, you know, uh, and, and, and so it's, there's, there's a specific difference, though, between recognizing your poor spirit versus this arrogance in spirit. And then verse 4 says this, Bless, blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. And now he transitions from us to, to kind of our sin, I think, in this um, verse. It says, mourn, why? Um, mourn because they're spiritually not good enough. When they walk through life, they realize that they're going to stumble through some things. And they're, they're just not good enough to be perfect. And so they're actually sad about the sin choices that they make in their life. And the, this, it's this sense that they have a healthy sense that sin actually made them dead and, and, and doesn't make them alive. But God is the one who makes them alive. And they're affected by that. So these, that's why this type of person mourns. They're, they're characterized, I think, by a repentant heart. It's when you sin, you go, I feel so bad about that, Lord. And you turn immediately to God and say, let's, let's, can we get right here? And because Jesus paved the path of forgiveness, we have that access to the throne of God and can say, I'm sorry. And he, he just immediately puts you back in that path on his momentum towards good things. And I think even if you're saved, don't think that you don't sin. I know I know some of you do, do but some, you shouldn't, because <laughs> all of us sin, all of us sin, whether you're saved or not. And, 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 and God wants to, wants our hearts to actually break for the sins in the world. Um, and so that's the characteristic of someone who mourns for those things. The reward is that they will experience comfort from the Savior against whom they sin. Uh, 
which I think is kind of a cool thing, is that Jesus saved us not so that we could feel guilty, but so that we could feel comfort. Versus apathy. So mourning versus apathy. Because sometimes we just have an apathy towards sin. Uh, you know, it's no big deal. Or maybe we encourage a sinful lifestyle and we go, well, it's fine. It's really not that big of a deal. You know, sin is not, it really doesn't separate me from God. You know, it's just, what is the big deal? Do you feel that maybe someone in culture, outside these walls in the environment, people just have, it's okay, it's whatever. Whatever you choose, it's totally cool. Um, the unfortunate thing is that if, you, if, if that's the lifestyle, then you won't be comforted by yourself. You won't be comforted because you have you have you have you care less about sin. Doesn't matter. Verse five says this: "Blessed are the meek, because they will inherit the earth." Now, meekness or gentleness, in the sense that they know that they're sinful, they know that they they sort of acknowledge. We so we go okay. Truth moment. I acknowledge that I, that I could have sinned at some, some point in my life. Um, or that I do, and therefore, I'm not better than other people. And so, I don't treat other people as if I'm better than them. I'm gentle and I'm meek towards others. And that's the characteristic of this person, is that blessed, blessed are those who are meek, because they're unpretentious. And I had to look up unpretentious. I did not do well in the SAT in the English section. Maybe you did. But un unpretentious, which I thought was so great, is, is not attempting to impress others with an appearance of greater importance, talent, or culture than is actually possessed. So in other words, you're not walking around just trying to impress others by what you think you know. Uh, you may not know that much. But a pretentious person is someone who comes and says, I know all this and you should be impressed because of what I know. Well, a meek and a gentle person may know certain things, but they don't lord that over others. They actually treat others as if they're not better than them. They're self-controlled. That's a, being meek is to be self-controlled, uh, to be free from malice, to be free from vengefulness or paying others back for wrongs maybe that they've done. And the reward, which is great, is that they will inherit God's promised land. And I want to think, think about that, is that if you are God's heirs, if, if, if you believe in Jesus, if you're, if you're a child of God, then, then you will inherit the best, not only of what God created physically here on earth, but, but when Jesus comes back, when he returns, we'll actually be owners of part of God's kingdom. It's like you walk into a house, if you're not the owner of a house, you walk in and you go, oh, this is a nice house. I wish this was my house. It's so nice. Or there's so many great things. But when you're the owner of that kind of house, you walk in and go, this is my house. And I own this place. And that's the feeling I think that God wants us to have about his kingdom, that we have a share in that inheritance. And the meek person is the one who will inherit that. Versus, and I said meek or gentle, versus pretentious, or malicious, a pretentious or malicious person. That type of person, they don't really believe that they're sinful. They don't really, or, they, or maybe they do, but they don't really acknowledge it. They don't acknowledge that they're sinful to God. And so, since they're perfect people, you should be impressed with who they are. 
you should be moved just to be in their presence kind of thing. Um, and, and, and what they know should just wow you and should just move you beyond belief. So the, the issue there, though, is that apparently that person will not inherit the things uh, from God because they're not his heirs. It's not that it's uncharacterized. It's like a person that God says is blessed. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. So there's this appetite for righteousness, and I love the Guns N' Roses idea, appetite for destruction is the other one. So you can have an appetite for righteousness or an appetite uh, for destruction, and, and righteousness is just that, that they know, we, you know, you have this idea that you know sin keeps you from being connected with God, so, so because you know that, you strive for holiness with Him. You make that a part of your life, that holiness actually, and, and what I mean is by your thoughts, and by your actions, and Jesus will unpack this later in the sermon, He's, it, it, is that by your thoughts, that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of time what controls your actions. It controls how you think and why you think, and what you think about and what you do. And so in this sense, having an appetite or desire for holy things versus things that are maybe impure, um, that are a little bit questionable on TV, <laughs> that are questionable online, that are not pure in conversation with your close friends and with your family. Those kinds of things tend to push you down a path of destruction. And, and in a lot of ways, the verses there is, is that you, the person who has an appetite for destruction a lot of times doesn't even realize it. It's sort of a hidden thing. Uh, and, and I think that Jesus says the reward for the person who has this idea of holiness in their life is that they'll experience that full connectedness to God that a lot of us want throughout the year and we go, I would like to experience that, but I don't know how. This is part of how. Part of how is focusing your thoughts on, the, on a holy God because He loves you, and because He wants you to be holy. He wants to help you to be holy. So I think that's kind of cool. Uh, verses, verse 7 uh, says this, Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Merciful because they forgive those who trespass against them. Whether or not the person has come asking for forgiveness. Uh, so a merciful person automatically says, I forgive the guilty, and I have compassion on those who are in need, or compassion on those who are suffering. Does that characterize you, uh, does that character, but that's a characteristic that Jesus is expressing here. And he says that they will be shown mercy, <clears throat> I think, throughout their life, but I also think it, it, that merciful understanding is you begin to start to understand the heart of God. Is that when you become merciful, when you forgive others, whether they uh, ask for it or not, you start to understand the, the, the character of God yourself versus the unmerciful, those who don't forgive those who are guilty, those who hold grudges naturally, um, those who hold lifelong grudges and never get over them and take them to the grave. Um, those are the kinds of people that, that are unmerciful and, and, they, and, and they don't characterize someone who is close with God. Verse 8, <clears throat> verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Pure in heart versus corrupt in heart. <clears throat> pure in heart versus corrupt in heart. To be pure in heart is that is this is the sense 
that the single most important objective in someone's life is to please God. And to please Him with their choices, with their attitudes, and with their actions. So all of those things encompass someone who actually is pure in heart. They're not fake. They're not a fake until you make it kind of person. They're actually, and they have true motives. And someone who is looking out for the best for you and for, and for their family um, and for their friends. But, but the person who's corrupt in heart, really, they have little or no interest in knowing or pleasing God. And so it's all about pleasing themselves. To be corrupted in your heart, is, it, it, it really creates this dark lifestyle. And it's something where you hide things all the time. You hide it from the people that supposedly mean the most to you. Um, and, and I think that's characterized more by untrustworthiness than anything. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9, because they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers versus conflict makers. You know the people that I'm talking about. There are people in your life that want to make peace, and there are those who just want to fight. <laughs> um, and peacemakers recognize they have they have no more conflict with God because He's forgiven them and saved them, and that they've been forgiven. And so they have peace because of that. We talked about that in our peace series back in December. But it's really that idea that I have peace with God, therefore I can be a peacemaker in my life. I don't have to make conflict with others. Um, conflict makers, I think, have no interest in peace with other people or with God. And, and, and in this context, I really think that it's that person who thrives on conflict, who wants to be divisive, who wants to come in and just kind of destroy things, and just unsettle things just for the sake of making them unsettled, not to have a solution to a problem, uh, not to move anything forward. And what happens to those people is that they're never at peace, and they really don't have close relationships with other people. And then the last blessed is verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And just notice that it's, it, he uses an inclusio, which means he said the same thing at the first blessed are you about and what they would inherit. The kingdom of heaven belongs. And what he's saying is that in all of this, in all these characteristics, this is who the kingdom of heaven characterizes, and this is who it belongs to. And so this is the type of person that God wants us to become. Now, who on this list has all ten of those just down? Like, that is you. You're going to walk out of here and go, I didn't learn anything new this morning, so I'm good. You know, I don't even have to come back to church. I don't, I don't need to read scripture. I don't need to be encouraged anymore because i got it all together. Probably not. I mean, I don't. Um, and so that's the tension in the room can just drop, you know. Jesus sets up this, sets us up in a way, and he's setting up the crowd here to say, you're not perfect. You need me to be able to become this kind of a person. You need me in your life to be transformed so that the momentum that this kind of person is can be in your life, but it needs to be from God. This is the type of momentum and path that he wants you to be on in your life. And then, and let's see. So, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Persecuted for following God, I think is what I have on your, on your sheet. Um, versus those who have hostility-mindedness. Those who are hostile. 
in their minds. And then Jesus transitions uh, in verse 12. And he, he, he sort of begins to summarize it. And he starts talking about saltiness and light that's in the world. Um, he says, so don't be sad, but verse 12, rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. So if you're this type of person who walks into the world, just realize you're probably going to be persecuted. So yay, yay, I get to walk out into some persecution. Um, but Jesus is saying, yes, you should celebrate. Because they persecuted me, they're persecuting me, and they persecuted the prophets of God all the way back to the beginning of time. And so you get to be in that crowd. You get to be in, in, uh, in, in that group. And then he says this, verse 13 is sort of the point. So here's sharpen your pencil for the point here. Um, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. The point is that if you are this kind of a follower of Christ, if, if you're characterized by these blessings or those, then you are just like salt. You are just like salt in the world, which means, which means that salt has a positive influence, but it's different. When you go into the world, you're different from the world. You're not the same as, as, as the world wants you to be or, the, or the, the drone that it wants you to become. You're different. Salt makes food flavorful, so it's different than the food that you pour it on. Salt actually creates things in agriculture. It grows things when you put it on the ground. It fertilizes the ground. So he's talking about the idea that just as salt is different than the food or the environment that it's placed in, we must be different. We must have a different momentum that carries us into the world. And then he says this. He says, you're also the light of the world. A city located on a hill can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp, put it under a basket on a rock, but they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. So that's the point, is that Jesus changes us. He helps us to be salt and light, and then he sends us into the world so that people can not, not just know and praise and honor us, but they can praise and know and honor God. And that's the difference, I think, that we can make in people's lives when we actually look at this and realize, okay, so that's the calling that God has for our life. So, so what can you do this week? What can you do as a wrap up? Number one, and this is the only one I want you to think about, because it's a lot of information to, to process, but i just give you one. is to begin reading these Beatitudes, Begin reading these Beatitudes this week so that they characterize your walk with Jesus. Begin maybe even thinking about it. Maybe you don't, maybe, maybe that's not something that's just first on your list this year for your new year, but maybe that's a good place to start, is to walk back through this list and go, is that, does that characterize me? Would my kids say that about me? Would my spouse say that about me? Would my best friend say that this is who I am? And think about that. Say this with me. God wants me to experience his momentum. God wants me to experience his momentum. Say it one more time because I know you mumbled through that. 
But God wants me to experience His momentum. I'll say it one more time just so that you believe it and we'll walk out of here. But God wants me to experience His momentum. The question is, do you want the momentum that He's offering? Thanks for listening to the 343 Ministries podcast. As always, we encourage you to donate to our ministry at 343ministries.com slash give. Together, we can all make a difference in this world. 343 Ministries, Inc. is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization. Also, subscribe to our monthly devotional email for actionable strategies on how you can build up your community in Christ right where you are. And for more ideas, inspiration, and tips, follow us on Instagram at Todd and Meredith Baker.